0: Hi, this is Dr. Craig Davies. Welcome to another episode of Achieve Depth Radio. You are in for a treat today. I am joined by one of the leading experts in golf fitness uh, at the highest level for well over a decade. His name is Ben Shear. He's worked with the likes of Luke Donald, Jason Day, Webb Simpson, the list goes on. He is the owner of The Athlete's Edge, which is a very amazing top-notch training facility at Scotch Plains, New Jersey, where he works with some of the best golfers in the vicinity, as well as some of the most amazing hockey players in that area. He is a consultant for uh, Golf Digest and one of the board members for their fitness department, and he's got a nationally syndicated show on Sirius FM called The Golfer's Edge. Uh, This is going to be a great episode. He has so many pearls of wisdom from his years of experience in the golf fitness world. This is Achieve Depth Radio with Ben Shear. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Achieve Depth Radio. These are the leading experts in energy, nutrition, water, health, and human performance, fitness, and personal medicine. If you're looking to maximize your mental, physical, athletic, and professional performance, these are the experts for you. Achieve Depth Radio, this is not what's now, this is what's next. Hi there, this is Dr. Craig Davies with Achieve Depth Radio, and I'm joined today at a special edition um, he live here from the world golf fitness summit, uh, with a good friend of mine and a long standing member of the performance community in the golf world, but also you know, now in the hockey world, uh, Mr. Ben Shear, how are you, bud? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. No, it's, uh, it's always a privilege to get a chance to talk to you. You know, you, you spend a lot of time, uh, working with your athletes, uh, up at home right now in the New Jersey, New York area, but you know, you've traveled around, around the country. You've seen athletes from all over the place and now you know you're working with athletes who are golf athletes hockey athletes and everything in between right so what is kind of what's interesting to you right now because you've you've been in this world for a long time so you know for a lot of people they tend to get complacent they tend to not be pushing themselves forward you've worked with major champions world number ones just the who's who of athletes in your world that you work in What's driving your interest now?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of talented guys, right? I think that all of us, if we think that we're the reason any of these guys are world number ones or major champions, we're fooling ourselves, you know, we hopefully... Give them some small margin of improvement, but it's their God-given talents and hard work that certainly make them uh, who they are. But for me, you know, like in everything, whether it be in golf or the whole world, technology is exploding, and equipment and information is exploding all over. And you know, we we have certain things that we've studied in the exercise science world in the past that are kind of more models or ideas, or that you had to go to some university laboratory to you know collect data on. But the availability of Really cutting edge information to be able to measure and monitor our athletes as is, is an all time high, and, and my interest in this power, right I mean, I work a lot with hockey players and I work a lot with golfers, and both of them need tons of power, yeah. but power is kind of a broad term I mean while we hear that term and maybe if you're not, you 're not know in our world, that means one thing to you, but we, you know as you and I know it 's strength time speed or force times distance over time. And how you create that is really critical to what type of exercise program I'm going to do.
0: Yeah, you know, that's a great point because, you know, there's a lot of people who work in our field as well as, you know, symbiotic fields who would perceive the Olympic lifts as the only thing to do for power. I hear that all the time. You can't be powerful unless you're doing an Olympic lift, which we know isn't, isn't true.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, I, I love I love the Olympic lifts. They're a great thing. But let's also remember, that's a sport. Yeah. It is very technical to be really a great Olympic weightlifter. People win medals yeah. for doing it. I mean, people spend time not just on practicing how much they can lift, just the skill of doing it. So while I love it, Actually, for me, from a science perspective, with the Olympic lifts, I've actually gone away from doing traditional cleans and snatches, and I've moved more to doing high pulls. Yeah. Because it takes away a lot of the technical aspect, but still allows me to work on that explosive triple extension, that ankle knee hip extension, that we're really is the purpose of, yes. of doing those Olympic lifts.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's a, a, an absolutely fantastic point. That is seriously misappreciated by uh, sort of lay people or people who are just training as well as professionals in our field is the amount of skill that is required to do an Olympic lift effectively, how long it takes to learn how to do that skill.
1: And I see some world-class athletes and guys that you and I know who are doing it with their athletes. And I watch that, I go, you're not developing any power. No. And that's something that kind of looks like a clean or looks like whatever. Yeah. I'm like, but that is not actually not doing what you think it's doing
0: No, And you know, it's, you know, in our world, well, definitely my world right now, um, uh, I like the world you live in, where you get to train people away from competition, uh, which I, I wish I had more time to do that, and I'm trying to get sort of back to that spot. But unless someone's putting in the time on their off-season to learn how to do a skill set like an Olympic lift, it makes absolutely no sense to just randomly sprinkle it in throughout the, throughout the year. Um, and, you know, I've talked to you just off-air before we got on the show, and you were starting to break down different types of training, you know, whether it's band training or heavy lifting and how that impacts different parts of power generation.
1: Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we we hear the term power, like I said, and everybody wants to be powerful. That's kind of this kind of holy grail, shall we say, in every sport, right? I mean, I want to be a power hitter in baseball. I want to, you know, whether I'm a running back or a football lineman, a power forward, you know, like it's somehow this mysterious place. And when we understand what it is and what the components of it are, like we said, there's strength, there's the force component or the, you know, how much weight you can lift for a simple way of thinking about it. And then there's, but how fast you can apply the velocity component to what we're doing. And we have to understand that if we can properly evaluate an athlete, we can start figuring out, well, is it that first initiation, that's what we call starting strength, and then lifting something that's super heavy and trying to move it quickly, that's great for starting strength, but let's use something like a deadlift maybe as an example. You know, coming off the floor, it's really heavy and it's really hard, but once I basically get it moving, the the load gets light as I get to more mechanical advantage positions throughout the lift, the load gets light. And so basically the real work is being done in that starting part. But where if I use like a band or something like that, actually as I get further through the range of motion, the band is actually giving me more tension back and it's getting stronger. So if I'm looking at the rate of force or how fast I apply the force, a band might be a better tool. If I'm looking to try to get that starting strength, then maybe that heavy loading movement might be the better way to go.
0: Uh, you know, I, one of the things that's frustrating uh, in this field is how difficult it is to to create, like, laws of averages. You know, like, if you look at guys out on tour and you take the average of 40 players and you kind of graph that, you'll get an idea of what the average player does. But almost no player fits into that um, specific graph, right? They're all outliers to it. So. What I'm asking may not be possible, but (laughs) (laughs) so you're looking at, you know, some of your uh, hockey athletes. Sure. And we're looking at a sport where they have shifts of, you know, 20 to 40 seconds. A lot of times as you get into higher levels, uh, lots of start stops. What are the parameters that you're looking at when you're when you're trying to determine what type of program to build for that athlete uh, for that type of sport? And then, how do you measure some of those variables?
1: Yeah, so obviously, like you said, stopping and starting is such a critical part to hockey, and you know that quickness change of direction whatever you want to call it agility some somebody might want to call it and which is different in hockey because you got to really dig that edge i know you were a hockey player growing up but getting that it when you're moving fast to get that edge in there and actually stop yourself and get going the other way is hard so i always say he who stops first starts first right right (laughs) so we really start our training programs we get into trying to do some eccentric loading so eccentric loading is kind of the lowering of the weight if people want to think about like the going up of a weight is what we call the concentric phase, the going down or the absorption of the force is what we call the eccentric. And I love using a thing, we use a thing called the K-box which is a flywheel type system, that actually the more force you give it, the more it gives you back. So typically when we do eccentric training, we have to do it slow, because we, lo- we take a big super maximal load, right. and we lower it down super slow. And while that might be great for developing those, m- the muscular side of it, the problem we have is that the neurologic side in hockey, when it has to happen on time, it's gotta be like, boom, I gotta stop, I gotta stop right now, yep. and I have a short time. So in the past, we really haven't had a lot of ways to train this other than doing kind of like speed and agility dr- drills on the ground. You know, like plyo types work. Yeah, you know. so now all of a sudden you have a way to actually load this thing up and do it in real time with high velocity. So I use that, and that specific machine they call the K-Box, which is just a flywheel. There's many companies that do it, but I particularly use one. It has a thing called a power meter, and it can actually show me how much concentric force I'm putting out. It can show me how much eccentric force I'm getting, and then what's my, my ratio. The idea is that I want to be able to absorb more than I could put out. So what we call a positive eccentric utilization ratio. Can I absorb more than I could put out? Because if I put out more than I could absorb, that's where you guys have to come back in because I'm not going to get hurt.
0: Right. And yeah. Injuries occur. That's amazing. So you're, you're finally, we're at a point uh, where a facility can get equipment that measures the person's ability to absorb Absorb load and create load while lengthening tissues and preparing themselves for the next push off or blast off.
1: In real time. Yeah. Which is so cool. That yeah, you know? is, that is. So what, what have you found, you know, how long have you been using that for now? So I've been using that for about four years and I use some other technologies. I use a thing called uh, Motion 1080 as a company which basically is, looks like a cable system. They have a bunch of different pieces. The piece I have is called the Quantum. It looks like a cable column, uh, but it doesn't have any weights. It doesn't have a pin. It's run by robotics. And it's basically run, I run it with, uh, what do you call it, a tablet type of machine. And I can literally program my eccentric load, my concentric load, my eccentric velocity, my concentric velocity. I can specifically pick exactly what my loading patterns are. And I can also use it isotonically, isokinetically. I can use different types of force as well to decide what I want to do. And then what we've really been doing and learning a lot from is combining that kind of K-Box technology with this. So for every single repetition I do, it gives me the force of that relative to time and space and position. It gives me the velocity of that movement. It gives me the total power output of that movement. It gives me everything. So I can look at my power and say, okay, well, look, how much force did I put out while I did that? How much velocity there?" I put? And then I can start putting you under different loading parameters and see under what load does force drop, or does velocity, sorry, drop down. Or vice versa, where do, where do I, at what loading, do I get big power jumps and stuff like that? And that really starts allowing me to dial in what I should be doing with my exercise prescription from a training perspective in the gym. Like, do I just grab a med ball that weighs six pounds and throw it and say, well, that's good? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's the worst idea ever.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so what's really interesting, you know, when you talk about the ability in real time to measure uh, the power output in that, in that manner provides another question is, when do you decide for that individual as you start to see the power numbers change in a given set, for example? Yeah. Where you're like, that is a point where I don't want you to necessarily keep training because the numbers have changed dramatically. So instead of doing more reps, we might do more sets of less reps. Or how do you So we use determining-
1: a 10% drop off. Okay. I don't want to see power drop below 10%. So I don't go in saying, hey, if I'm doing a power movement, I don't say we're going to do three sets of five or whatever the numbers are, right? Yeah. I'm going to go, okay, we're at this load, where hopefully we did a good job in our prescription of the load. And I say, give me a maximal effort. And boom, you give me your effort, and it comes up whatever amount of watts that you put out, or let's just say hundred. Keep it. Yeah, whatever. Easy. Yeah, it's a hundred. And, and I say you go again, you go again, until that drops below ninety, we're gonna keep going. Okay. Because we're building, we're still building power as long as you can keep doing it. We might at the end, if you do fifteen, we might turn around and go, wow, we probably should have more load. That probably right. wasn't enough, or whatever the case may be. We can do our cutoffs based on depending on the athlete and what our goals are. I might cut it off based on total power. I might get it by force output, or I might get it due to loss of velocity. I can pick and choose which variable I think is the thing I'm trying to stimulate most with that athlete.
0: So since you started playing with this type of technology, right, and making uh, some inferences from this, the information you're getting from it, how has that changed some of the the training that you do with your athletes, have you found that certain exercises are kind of taken out of your programming or styles of exercising? Has it affected that in any way or imp- you added new types of exercises in because you now found them to be more effective? Or is it just um, giving you different protocols to add in?
1: Yeah, I think it's more an adding than a takeaway. I mean, obviously, I, I, with certain people, you might say, well, I don't need that high pull or I don't need the deadlift or I don't, this guy, wow. If we looked at, you know, we looked at this guy in a, how strong he is versus how fast he is in a simple way of thinking about it. He's so strong on the force output level that, so what? Why, what? What do I need to keep lifting for? I mean, right. is stronger going to make me any better at golf or better yeah. at hockey at this point? Or is this guy just move at a rate that if, he, if you get more velocity out of him with the force he's already got, he's going to be way better. Or somebody might be totally the other way where I'm still doing – I don't want to say traditional, but more traditional strength training approaches where they need still a better base of strength. They're not strong enough. And like you said earlier, it's hard to create averages. So what we've done is I actually did a presentation recently. I just say N is one, right? That every person, we just have to look as individuals. And, you know... if we looked at the biomechanics of a golf swing as an example, if we took one video, you know, 3D graph of Jason Day, and then we had one of Bubba Watson, right, and we averaged the two of them together, right, and we tried to move either one of them closer to that, they would both be worse, not better. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So we, we can't look at it that way. So I try to look at each person as an individual and just say, hey, look, where's my opportunity with this athlete like and i don't care i might have some base minimum saying look anybody who's below this velocity or below this force you're probably not going to be on a high level right Right. you're not going to be elite there's a minimum requirement of both of those things that are gonna make you good. But there's a lot of guys getting it done with different combinations, right? Some people might use more force, somebody else might use more velocity, whatever the case may be. So we try to look at each athlete and say, when we collect all their data and we put them under different loading parameters or different velocity requirements, where they break down allows us to really prescribe a much more detailed program.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's fascinating. So you go back home You got your show on Sirius Radio. Let's put a plug in for that.
1: Yeah, Golfer's Edge on Sirius XMPGA Tour Radio. We're on uh, Thursday nights from 8 to 10. I deal with Debbie Doniger, who's a golf professional. And our goal is to kind of marry together kind of that body swing connection.
0: Yeah, so we're going to have that information in the the show notes. But uh, what I want to ask you pertaining to that is you've been doing that, what's that, three years now? I think I'm in my fifth year. No. Yeah, fifth year. Holy. Okay, five years of doing this show. Now, if we think about... Go back to golf fitness. Yep. Okay. So golf fitness, you know, people worked out, you had um, Gary Players and Greg Normans and Tigers and all that, but really we never saw that explosion in the masses until the 2000s. Right. So that wasn't that long ago. And your show apparently has been five years, which is blowing my mind how (laughs) time has gone by. But in that five year period has been the things that have changed in, in golf fitness, obviously, because that's what your show deals with. But just in fitness in general, in that time span that you've been on air, which is a five year period, what are some of the differences? Technology obviously is different, what we can
1: measure. What else? Absolutely. So, look, I mean, I think that from a golf fitness perspective, the biggest thing in five years is more and more people are doing golf fitness. And I think that's the most important message, really, of all of this, is that, you know, we can get into all this minutia of this cool technical stuff, but people getting up off the couch, you know, getting out from behind their desk, you know, stretching, moving, doing movement work, getting stronger, being more supple, you know, creating some resiliency in their body, I think is what we're all after, right? I mean, we can, the details are secondary to the actual, taking that first step and doing it. But, you know, like you said, the technology, I think, is one of the biggest. And the availability of information. I mean, whether it be through the internet. You know, when I first was coming up and doing this, and I started with my first tour player in 1998. Right. With Robert Carlson was my first tour player in 1998. So I was doing this Really before almost anybody was doing yeah. it. You know, people laughed at us, like literally looked at us like we were crazy. But you know, to really learn, you had to go find people who were experts. It wasn't like you could go online or here we are at the World Golf Fitness some Things like this didn't exist. No, absolutely. You know, there was nothing for you to do. And I can remember as a kid when I was young, first starting out, I would go find a guy who's an expert in plyometrics who study with some Russian expert guy and I would go pay him $100 an hour that I didn't have to be yeah. honest at the time and I would be like okay pretend I'm an athlete like this and I'm trying to be faster I'm trying to do this like what would you do and the guy would run me through workouts and I would do this literally week in and week out for yeah. years and study so what's so awesome I think about where we are now is that everybody has the availability of the information whether you're you know the guy sitting at home in Iowa whether you're a guy who lives next door to Craig Doc Davies and can get it or you're a PGA tour player the information Age has allowed everybody, if they know where to look, to get great information. And you know what? You can be successful with so many different models, right? I mean, what I'm doing, I think, is really cool, and it's just where my brain is and the way my mind works. And maybe for the super elite athletes, certainly has a lot of value. But I think for the typical person getting up, you know, doing some yoga, stretching out, building strength, we don't have to worry about what's new. I think what we really have to focus on is like. You know, yoga's been around for thousands of years. There's a reason that is. Yeah, absolutely. It works, right? I mean, and I I say on my radio show all the time is that most men who are golfers, the average male should be in a yoga class, stretching class, doing FRC, whatever they're they're doing. And most women should be in the weight room. Right, right. right. I mean, I think we have it opposite. Men like to go to the weight room because we're good at it. Yes. And women like yoga because they're good at it. The reality is we should be reversed.
0: Yeah, well, it's just like, you know, (laughs) ball strikers practice ball striking because they're good at it. And good putters generally spend more time putting, right? They just like doing it. And that's the same thing, as you said, in the gym. And that's, that's a great piece of advice because one of the things that males lose the most as as we get older is our mobility, right? And they all
1: want to hit it far, so they think they're going to lift more weights and getting tighter is going to help them hit it further. Where if they actually could get a bigger turn and have more time to create speed, they would all hit it further for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, like... The golf swing is really about geometry and physics, and if you can't move into positions to use geometry, then you have no chance. It doesn't matter how strong you
1: are. No. You know? And I think most the average man, I mean, assuming he's playing from, you know, the member's tees, he's not playing from the tips. Yeah. The average man is strong enough to shoot par. Yeah. I don't think he needs to be any stronger than he currently is. Yeah. He needs to move better. He needs to have more flexibility. He needs to be able to get in better positions, improve that geometry. Yeah. Then he can be good.
0: We have both seen guys on the PJ Tour who smash the ball who can barely do a push-up, yeah. if we're honest, right? But they move into unbelievable angles and joint positions. Uh, but then we've also got people who don't move quite as well, but still decent and use that extra strength to be able to
1: muscle it out there.
0: Okay, so if I'm going to come to your facility, is it still Athlete's Edge? Athletic Edge, yeah. Athletic Edge. Where am I?
1: Uh, where are you? Well, we're in Florida now. Yeah. But if you come to Athletic Edge, you're going to be in Scotch Plains, New Jersey.
0: Yeah. So uh, I'm going to have your the ability to contact you uh in the notes what you know we talked about you're working with very elite athletes
1: and we work with everybody i have everyone from businessmen to i run a huge six months of the year we run a gigantic junior golf fitness academy that's exactly where where i wanted to go yeah we have junior kids coming in who are you know everything from 12 years old up to college age you know it's incredible that we're able i mean we pump out d1 college golfers it's incredible that in new jersey where you can't hit a golf ball for basically six months a year the amount of d1 kids we pump out and i think one of the real reasons is that you know kids who tend to live in florida and places like they hit so many balls too many balls and they feel like they're not like working doing the right stuff if they're not out practicing where we actually are forced part of the year to take a break from hitting balls go inside, get stronger, get faster, get more resilient, get more powerful, all of that cool stuff. And we actually have it be the priority for a big chunk of the year. And it's been incredible to see the results with the kids.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. So what would be if I was a junior golfer or or just a junior athlete, and we're all athletes, just a matter of how much we're exhibiting our natural potential, right? Through how much work we put into it. But if I'm a, a, a young athlete coming into your center what are some of the things, you know, besides becoming better athletes, what are some of the things you guys would focus on so that I become just a better person as far as a more complete person?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things we try to teach kids and, you know, really when you come to the gym, it's life lessons, right? I mean, obviously going to the gym, it's nice to get strong or look good in the mirror or whatever your objectives are, but it takes discipline, it takes hard work, it's gonna be challenging, we're gonna have you do stuff that's not comfortable, that's not easy, that's not fun at times, but to get you to push through those moments, and we're not gonna get you, to, we're never gonna ask you to do something you can't do. Yeah. You might not think you could do it in the moment, but we know you can. Yeah. It, but to get you through those moments and be able to look back at yourself and say, wow, I can do a lot more than I thought I was capable of. I am stronger than I thought I was. I mean, it's incredible how many people are stronger than they think they are yeah, if no. you actually yeah. push them, right? So our, our goal is to teach them about encouraging the other kids in the groups. Working as a team, you know, because I think one of the problems most golfers have is they come in and it's such an individual sport. They get to hire their coach. If they don't like their coach, they fire their coach. Right. They don't like the time he has lessons available. They go to some other coach like they go and they practice by themselves. You know, team sports teach us very different lessons Mm -hmm. of life. They teach us about being a teammate. You might not like your coach. You know, you know, like my kid's a hockey player. I pay a lot of money for him to play hockey. If he doesn't like his coach. Well, guess what? You signed a contract and you literally can't go play somewhere else for another year, you're stuck, you have to deal with those things. So I think that golfers tend to not learn certain important lessons that I think are so fundamental to team sports. So we try to, because our junior program works in groups and the kids work together, we kind of make it a team environment Mm -hmm. where they're taught to work with each other, to encourage each other, have healthy competition amongst each other, push each other, and do all of that stuff. I think those lessons are great. And it's amazing to see the kids come from different towns. and We people drive from all over, hours away from different towns, different places they've never met, and the bonds they build. And then the summers, they're out playing golf at each other's golf courses and playing golf together and, and the friendships that they built. So I think it's yeah. a pretty cool opportunity to bring team sport to an individual thing.
0: Yeah, no, I think, I think that's some very valuable lessons. And then Obviously, we live in a world with these young kids today more than any of us ever. the The delayed gratification is almost non-existent now, right? It's like push a button, know the answer. My daughter, if I ask her a question and she doesn't know the answer, <laughs> go a second. Siri, with the answer, right? So, you know, one of the great things about coming into the facility, like what you guys have, or you know, many people have great facilities, but you have an opportunity to work towards a goal that's not going to be tomorrow. You know, and you For start sure. to learn what it takes. To work and grind at something in order to achieve something greater, and I think you guys are doing an awesome job from there. I've heard nothing but amazing things. You know, I've been fortunate to go down to your facility a few times when we have the Barclays or Northern Trust, whatever it's called now, yeah, uh, whatever right. playoff event. Yeah, uh, when it's in New Jersey, New York area, your facility is amazing. It's getting better all the time, but more importantly, you have great people who are working out of there. Obviously, yourself um, is the most paramount of that. And the culture that's uh, coming out of there seems incredible. And I congratulate you on all the successes you've had.
1: I appreciate that. So,
0: again, this is uh, Dr. Craig Davies, another special outing of Achieve Depth Radio here live from the World Golf Fitness Summit with Ben Shear, one of the top trainers in the world of golf and in hockey. Thanks for coming, buddy.
1: Thanks. Appreciate having me on. Injuries, headaches
0: back problems. We all experience physical pain in our lives, and the majority of that pain is caused by one thing, inflammation. At Luminos, we've created a safe, all-natural pain relief patch that directly targets pain instantly with no side effects. Just apply the Luminos patch directly to an area of pain. The relief can be felt in minutes, and it will last all day. Go to Luminos.com right now and start living without pain today.